God settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. Today's podcast is entitled The Healing of the Inner Child and I offer a gentle warning. We're going to discuss trauma today, so please take care listening to this podcast. Let's start with a definition. So maybe you have heard or maybe you've even said, I'm channeling my inner child if you're skipping down the street or playing with water guns or something like that. Anything that reminds you of how you used to play freely as a child. I know certainly for me that that's what that phrase means. But typically, a lot of people don't even hear the phrase inner child until they're older and they realize how disconnected they are from it. And I'm going to give you two links in the show notes to help you with uh, some definitions and to help you explain it. Because the bottom line is, it's really not about the physical act of playing like a child. It's about having the wonder, the creativity, the delight, the sheer joy for just waking up in the morning and existing. My definition of the inner child is remembering who you were before the world told you something different. Before you realize that not all dreams come true or that sometimes you find out that life is really hard than what you thought it was going to be. Now, in my course, Healing Religious Trauma, I talk a lot about what trauma is because we're confused by it and I talk about it because, especially for those of us who are deconstructing from our religious heritage, and primarily most of you who follow me are are deconstructing from Christianity, we've often been told that our experiences inside church, inside these patriarchal structures, were normal. So it didn't matter if you were hurt, offended, truly gut-wrenching, heart-crushing experiences. It didn't matter how they left you, how you felt about them, as long as you didn't react to them, as long as you didn't expect those who harmed you to be held accountable, as long as you didn't advocate for change because change was not coming. Oftentimes in patriarchal structures, It requires layers of humanity to be silenced, to be oppressed, so that the primary person on top can stay the person on top, can stay the person in power. That's that's how a patriarchal structure is is designed. There's there's no denying that. That's how it's designed. So no matter how much freedom they try to give you or pretend that they're giving you, they'll never give you to the level that they are because that would threaten their power, that would threaten their wealth, that would threaten the entire structure. That's why when we talk about power is not given, it is taken, it's exactly that. When you look throughout history where people who are are continually oppressed finally rise up to say enough is enough. This historical, this historically oppressed system, oppressive system is no longer going to work anymore. 
and we're going to demand justice. We're going to demand equity. We're going to demand a new system because people in power, people that have are benefiting greatly from those systems of oppression aren't freely and willingly going to give it. Now, what does this have to do with the inner child? It has a lot to do with it because those of us who, especially those in my generation from the boomer generation and before that, the silent generation and even uh, Gen, Gen Xers, and I'm not saying that millennials and Gen Zers aren't going to Uh, experience that as well, but primarily boomers especially, we very much were entrenched in patriarchal systems, whether it was in our home, in our schools, in the political systems, and in in religion. Those systems are still in place, but people are starting to push back and say, those do not serve the highest good. Those do not do enough to elevate the entirety of the human condition. They only serve one set of people. But when you've been raised in that system and when you have been oppressed by it for so long, you begin to believe that that's the only way to be. So you learn to detach yourself from elements of yourself because to be in tune with them is too painful. That's why when a lot of people who just all of a sudden cannot navigate through life are having trouble coping, find themselves uh, severely depressed, find themselves not being able to... to, uh, handle relationships, handle any kind of stress in their lives. Oftentimes therapy will take you back. You think you came for this one specific problem that's in your life right now. Oh, probably not, dear one. You're gonna go back several years and you're gonna look at when it really started. When did you start denying parts of yourself that brought you to this point where you can no longer deny the pain? You can no longer the, 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 it's, it's in your face now that something inside is broken and it needs light. And this is your opportunity. So that inner child is now asking for a seat at the table. So when you talk about the inner child, yes, it's fun to go out and, and throw snowballs and ride, and ride uh, uh, sleigh rides and things like that and ride on your sled and ride a bicycle, all those fun things. It's really about getting in connection with yourself. So when you go into therapy, and you're spiling back to talk about, well, let's talk about your childhood. And you think, oh, I don't want to do that. You absolutely have to do that because that's going to be the breadcrumbs that brought you here today. So when we stopped denying those, es- those, those elements, those essential elements of ourselves, that's going to point us to our greatest opportunity for healing if we're willing to do the work. So once we've started to do that work, And we're willing to be connected to the inner child, which means we face the things that harmed us, that really hurt us. But we also now are ready to embrace the things that we had to deny when we had to put so many layers on top of the things that hurt us that we also gave away key elements of ourselves. And now it's all here. The good, the bad, but the joy and the delight can return as well. Okay, that was a lot of words about the inner child. Like I said, there's two links where you can learn more about it. But there was something that happened in my life recently, and that, and I wrote about it in the blog. Of course, I usually have a, a blog that accompanies the podcast, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But for here, it's just important. This is your opportunity, especially when, when, you, when anything that I talk about, anything I talk about here or anything I write about, 
most of the time, most of my videos, it has elements of healing for you that are related to something on your deconstructing journey, you putting together back the pieces of your spirituality, you looking at the places where you might have unconscious bias because of the systems that you were put in. Even though you think you might be rejecting them, you don't realize how much you're still carrying those those with you. And, and something just recently rose up for me. I ha I'm going to have a wonderful opportunity by the time this is posted the interview will already have taken place. So it will, it, you'll see it in my Instagram feed, but I'm going to be interviewing Yasmin Mohammed, who is a um, ex-Muslim, where she shares her experiences and being able to talk with her and seeing the similarities between extremist Islam and extremist Christianity, but also that deconstructing experience and how much of it we have in common is a, there, there's threads there that can help us when we are, when we don't necessarily, we listen to someone's story to hold the space, but we also listen to see what wisdom am I receiving here? So the inner child has wisdom for you and also listening to other religions deconstructing story is important as well. Now I started all of this by saying, going around the mountain a little bit, but that's okay, you know me. By the way, you like my background here. You never know where I'm going to be, do you? You never know where I'm going to be. I tried to dress it up a little bit. I am in a literally, it's a tiny house that I have to, I'm, I'm coming to and I'm gonna say it's wonderful. It's big enough for me and my little doggy that's asleep behind me because um, our home had experienced water damage. I've written about it before. The restoration has begun. And when I leave in the mornings, there's about six trucks in the driveway and they're all carrying things from jackhammers to sawzaws to drills and I'm out of there. It just gets a little crazy here. It's nice and quiet and it's a nice ambiance and I'm and I'm loving it here. So you're like, what does she what does she have behind her? That's that's what we have going on here. Now I started this, like I said, wanting to talk about uh, what trauma is and the reason why I think there's a connection here between uh, talking about the inner child and this definition of trauma and why I went so deeply into that in my uh, healing religious trauma series is because so many of us our experiences were dismissed and we didn't even know it's trauma. So I talk about why it's important that we recognize that we are more than likely holding some type of trauma because of our patriarchal or our religious indoctrinations from our past. Especially those of us who were brought up in evangelical Christianity where we were taught that suffering was Christ-like just as Christ suffered. So it, it provided the perfect opportunity for the, the Christian to be perpetually abused because anything that happens to you in this life is pointing you to salvation, including those who abuse you, oppress you, silence you, attempt, intimidate you, manipulate you. It doesn't matter. If you're suffering, then you suffer as Jesus did, and that's pointing you to a greater reward in heaven. How obedient for those of us who have experienced those kinds of traumatic um, things in our, in our church life to not really understand what trauma is. Now, according to the American Psychological Association, they define trauma as an emotional response to a terrible event like an accident, rape natural disaster, anything. 
there can be shock after the typical, which is a typical response, but then there are longer term reactions. It just takes one event, but then there's also complex uh, trauma, like post-traumatic stress disorder, like wartime events, but also just any kind of trauma that has left you having severe reactions to similar events or anything that triggers you to think that now you are being threatened again as you were in that event. Complex post-traumatic stress disorder says, okay, this happens over a long period of time. So you have that people who are in uh, long-term abusive situations. And that's why church experiences can be that as well. If you are perpetually told time and time again that you must be silent, that you must be obedient, that you must not question church authority, even when you know right in front of your eyes that they are being corrupt and abusive and immoral, you know these things are happening and yet you're being forced into submission, that is trauma. So I say that trauma is anything that is so disruptive to you that it inhibits your ability to process life experiences. From the simple daily tasks to the more challenging ones like how to navigate grief or sorrow. How do you navigate life changes like just changing job and all of a sudden you are just tipped over and not able to function. It's just that simple. Anything that disrupts your life to the point that you can no longer navigate the simplest or challenging tasks of your everyday life. So now that we understand a little bit about what the inner child is, how that can be connected to trauma and patriarchy's role in that, we can start to talk a little bit more about the inner child. Now, like I said, it usually shows up, you start talking, those of us who have any kind of trauma or those of us who have were raised in the uh, environment that children should be seen and not heard, don't question authority. This is the type of conditioning that we often find that's crucial to the success of, of patriarchy. And so the earlier you can do this with children, the better off because they're less likely to question it. That's why, and I bet this will trigger some memories for some of you as well. You might just be getting along fine. Don't even realize how much you are internalizing some of your patriarchy, internalizing some of your indoctrination until one day you just mentioned to a church friend that you have a new friend that doesn't go to your church and you went and had lunch with this person and you really enjoyed it. And your church friend says, oh, be careful. She's not a Christian. That's it. That's all they have to say for you to realize that you were just rebuked, that you were just corrected. They don't have to give you any other any other reasons. They spoke from a place of authority to tell you to be careful. At that point, you are so indoctrinated into this fear-based dogma that you know not to question it. And you never call that person again or you make excuses for not wanting to be around them, even though you don't really, you nothing was quantified to you other than they're not a Christian, but you, you realize that you spend, we all spend time with people outside of our religious heritage. So what, why would that be a threat to them? Why is that a threat? If you're not standing strong in your faith, why is anything in the outside world a threat? Well, it's not a threat to you. It's a threat to the patriarchy. Because the fear is that if you ever got too close to somebody outside of your religious indoctrination, then there's a chance that you could leave. And guess what? It does happen. Because once you start to compare other people's experiences, you realize your 
religious experience is more about your submission than it is about nurturing your spirituality. So how how enriching is this for your long-term spiritual well-being if it's more about perpetuating the institution than it is about taking care of you and, and your well-being and how you're going to show up in the world as a better version of yourself instead of just being blindly loyal to an institution because they need people in the pews. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be have an enriching spirituality. I always feel like I have the need to say that because I'm going to get some, I'm going to get an email or somebody saying this is not all churches and it's not all Christians. If you have to say that, you are more than likely part of the problem. I have really come to see that. Because if I go out and I the person who writes that to me and I go out and I see their profile and I see that they've got a scripture verse in their bio and they've posted nothing to say, okay, I'm pushing back on Christian nationalism. I'm going to call out the, the sexual abuse from the Southern Baptist Convention, which, by the way, just released a very toxic report that I'll put in the show notes showing pages after pages of all the priests who were involved in it or the preachers who were involved in the, in the investigation. No one calling out anything. It's the people who are sitting out on the periphery of these institutions who are saying, this is not a healthy institution. I came from it. I reject it anymore because I don't think that any religion has the right to condition me to the point that my only options are to be submissive or be out. And that certainly was the case in my experience and so many others. You are either going to submit to the church authority 100%, not ask any questions, be completely obedient, or be on the outside, where then you are cast out and no one is supposed to talk to you. I lost my entire contact list when I left church. Even though I had people say they agree with the reasons I left and they were going to be in touch with me, that's all behind me now. That's 12, 13 years ago. So it's not like it that I tell you those stories because... Sometimes I'll hear from people, I'm going to wind up here because I did see a video the other day that really, really spoke to me. I saw a therapist say, look, we tell you our stories because you need to hear them because you need to see how we came out on the other side of it. People will often say, oh, are you okay? How can I support you? And I, I love that. I think that's very kind of you. But the only way we can stand in this kind of environment and be able to say it to you in a way that it's we're not necessarily a, a detached from it. We have healed from it. That doesn't mean that we don't still have triggers that we have to work on. But those of us who are who are he healers and teachers and wisdom keepers, we've done the work, and I did the work. I did the work. Uh, days crying on end, days working with my therapist and my mentors, years working with them. So people will say, my, 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 you're so bitter. Oh, honey, then you just don't know bitter. You're just trying to distract me from the work I do. I'm getting a little too close to the truth, aren't I? That you have to, you have to hear what I have to say. And the only thing you can hear is that I'm bitter. No, what you don't want to hear is that someone is offering you a mirror back to what you're doing and telling you that spiritual abuse, spiritual manipulation, any kind of spiritual gaslighting does not belong in religion. There's nothing Jesus in that kind of religious experience, in the, any kind of church experience, and yet it is primarily used in the modern American evangelical Christian experience. 
because that's you have to you have to create a system where those who are part of the patriarchal structure at the bottom must be beholden in some way and obligated to it. So those are the systems and you will never be able to reconcile spiritual abuse with the message of Jesus ever. Ever will you do it and I will continue to call it out, but I'm okay doing it. Okay, back to the inner child. So when you read my blog, you'll see there is an there is a picture there. I should have printed one out to show you here, but you can um, they'll they'll have it. It'll be on the website at numasoul.com when this blog goes live. I also did a video on it on TikTok uh, about November 11th, 15th, something like that. I know my amazing team will be able to put that in the show notes as well. But I wanted to talk about this picture that was taken. Um, at the end of Rhea and Amber DeMary's wedding. Now, I've talked about this before, and I did a whole slew of uh, videos after this experience because there's nobody who who attended that wedding who wasn't changed afterwards. There was nobody who, who, who left there not being a different person. Being in the company of these two amazing people who were so in love, and they had done the work. They aren't, they aren't the only ones who just were there to celebrate. They had done the work to be committed to their relationship long term and also to heal from their generational trauma. They freely talk about this on their videos as well on their social media platforms. So if you're not following them, please go do so because it, it's amazing to, to hear their story. And that those were the things that you check off like a, like a spiritual checklist, if you will, when I talked to them prior to marrying them is that I wanted to hear that they were working on themselves. This is legit. And it was truly legit. And the minute you walk in the place and you see that they had created a safe and sacred container, there was no one at that wedding who wasn't there out of obligation. They were there because they unconditionally loved Rhea and Amber. And that made such a difference. And I encourage all of you, if there's ever an opportunity to create an event where you truly want to hold the space, I would consider, please consider what you have to do to create that. Because I know oftentimes we create, we invite people out of obligation, but this certainly felt different. So at the end of the wedding, everyone had their eyes towards Rhea and Amber as they, as they exited the altar. And of course, I'm the last, the minister is the last one to come, go through, but I got to stand there for a while and watch the wedding guest as they uh, celebrated with Rhea and Amber. And then of course, the wedding party, I, I signaled for them to come in behind them. And then nobody's watching me as I'm walking down the aisle and exiting because they're all waiting for me to get past so they can also then start exiting and go to the reception. And my objective was just to get to the bot, the, the last row, take a quick right so I could zip up aside the side steps, go grab Rhea and Amber because my biggest job was to get them to sign that wedding certificate that you, you don't sign until after the uh, ceremony because that's when the wedding, that's when the marriage is official. And I take that very seriously. I was a paralegal for many years before this. So I was going to go get that. But as soon as I zipped at right to get away from everybody, there was the photographer in my face. And I was really confused. All these thoughts going through me in literally just a little few seconds, like, why is he taking this picture of me? I am definitely the oldest person. Well, my husband was probably the oldest person there. And I'm not needed. This is not one of those pictures that you need, but this this person was amazing as far as the kind of quality of pictures I could tell he was taking. And he was here for a reason. He wanted to capture something from me 
and he did. And I'll never know why I squealed like a little girl. Yeah, I do. But in my, my picture, you can see me and you can see my hands, my wrinkled hands. I have my grandmother's hands, my, my veins all show. And I'm like this because the little girl had arrived. She was there all along. I had fully stepped into my authenticity that said, I'm not going to hide myself anymore. This is who I am. This is the person I said I was going to be, a better version of myself to heal the brokenness in the world, especially from my religious experience who said that Rhea and Amber don't deserve the same rights as the rest of us. And I say nonsense. And so I not only officiated that wedding, I gave it my all. I worked weeks on that, what I was going to say. And I, I rehearsed all morning what I was going to say. The only thing I didn't do was bring an extra Kleenex for Rhea as the tears flowed when she saw Amber coming down the aisle. But my inner child needed to show up to say, I'm here and we did it. All that stuff that happened to us when you were a little girl, it doesn't matter anymore. Because in spite of it, you're better. You're a better person. You're a better version of yourself because nothing will stop you now. And it's always that first response. Be, listen to yourself in that first response. I could look at it and go, well, that was silly. That was silly. Why would I do that? Oh, no, it was not silly, beloved. It was not silly. It was authentic. It was authentic. I had arrived. And my inner child was there to celebrate. No, I wasn't throwing snowballs. And I wasn't riding a bike. And I wasn't skipping down the, down the street. I was just doing what I was called to do, uninhibited, giving of humanity in a way that was unconditional love as every human being deserves. And my inner child celebrated with me. And that's what I leave with you, beautiful soul. Just know that your inner child is there. Your inner child is waiting to squeal with delight with you. And it might show up in a completely different way, but you will know it. You will know it. And yes, we find hints of them being here still inside us when we dance and we sing and we get silly and we create, we paint. Just not for anybody else's approval, but just for us. But there's something else we must do. We must heal. We must heal because you deserve it. Looking back, if you could sit in front of your five-year-old, six-year-old self, whatever age it is when you found out that the world wasn't what you thought it was going to be, when the fantasy of life and the fairy tales and the unicorns and the dreams and the glitter all fell away because someone harmed you. The world was a cruel, cruel place or the dreams died. Go back there and sit in front of that little human being and tell them it's going to be okay because you're going to do the work so that they can squeal with delight when you show up. It is hard work. It is indeed hard work, but it is worth it. And may your inner child feel safe enough to rise 
and celebrate the true you because that is what the world is waiting for. And blessed be. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you and I pray you receive something I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be in peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you. You are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I'll see you soon. to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now!